Thank you, Janelle. God bless you. Kevin on the piano. Jared, you got away with that saxophone, buddy. It's just awesome. Amen. One more hand clap. They did a wonderful, <laughs> remarkable job. <laughs> the message is entitled uh, Christmas at Victory, uh, Silent uh, Night. There's a wonderful manger scene in the lobby that uh, actually came from Bethlehem. A friend of ours that we learned to meet through John Noseworthy, Nicky is his name. At one time, he was the mayor of Bethlehem. And uh, we were there and said, uh, we'd like to have one of those. And they're astronomically expensive, even at that time, many years ago. And John Noseworthy uh, got with Nicky, the owner of the store that his factory makes. So it's not a factory, it's handmade, every piece, one by one, by one individual, and numerous make them, uh, actually said, uh, tell you what we're going to do. Nikki and I, John knows where said, we're going to donate it to my church, Victory Church. And so it arrived. It's been there ever since. You should see the people, new people that come in and just stand there. That wood is hundreds of years old, olive wood that is used there. And it is very, very significant. And maybe you have a manger scene out in your front lawn. I haven't seen many located at the back lawn, but there are many out in the front lawn hopefully where people can see and some have them on a, on a mantle or over the fireplace or somewhere in their home and they're, they're important. And you look at that and you think, well, there's Mary and of course, Joseph, the Magi, the shepherds and everything looks so calm. And you hear the words of a song, oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And you think that is so serene, so special. And then you hear the words, all is calm and all is bright. And the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And you think that is a perfect, perfect example of peace, a calm atmosphere. And you might look at the world and you might think, well, boy, the world out there is full of pressures, mortgage payments, of course, COVID difficulties, career problems, loss of job or employment that's going on, or you get out on 98 or I-4 or anywhere, and people, everybody drives like a maniac except you. And if you want to be accepted, you have to become a maniac. The reality is you will get run over. I, I, Sharon and I were out there yesterday. I was running a little more than the speed limit, and cars were just flying on either side of me. That, that just was unbelievable. You say, boy, people have somewhere they're going to go. I got a call and said, buddy, if COVID has stopped people from shopping, don't tell them at this mall, because I'm telling you, everybody's out there. The place is packed. The traffic is, the traffic is horrible. But at that moment, and we call Christmas season that's happening, nothing that you see or you can describe now could even compare to what happened shortly after that manger scene was realized. The world might have been calm in that moment, baby Jesus in a cement trough, not a wood box, but in a cement trough. And when the accolades began to come and the clarion message that Herod heard. There's another king in town. His sickness and his demon spirit that ruled him, his anger and his emotion fired him up. Being vile and nasty, he decided, I'm going to take some lives out. 
And this is not going to be able to remain. And from that moment on, life was not normal for Mary. Often Mary is overlooked, and we know why. But I'm going to take you from the beginning of, of her, uh, her life at, as it relates to being a, a mother to the end of her life. And we're going to be able to enjoy that journey together. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. None of us realize the price that she paid to allow Jesus to take the path that God called him to take. We first run into Mary in Luke chapter 1 when an angel appears and tells her that she has found favor with God. Oh, man, wonderful. I have found favor with God. A 14-year-old peasant Girl, what does it mean? Oh, here's what it means. You're going to bear a child. Luke 129, Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. 50% of the girls in her day were named Mary, as we understand it. So if you call people to supper, Mary, every other girl turned around. What if you're talking to me? It's a common name. She was a young woman. And, and we know that not only, not only that, her name, of course, comes, Mary comes out of the Hebrew word Miriam. And it, it means Mary it said, you found favor. You found favor with God. And the angel says, you're going to become pregnant. It's going to be a, a miraculous conception. We know that story. And you're going to give birth to a son. What did you say? Totally unprepared. You know the story. Totally unprepared for what she heard. She's not married. She's committed to be married. She's going to be pregnant. So what does she have to do? I'm pregnant? When I need to go tell Joseph, I made a commitment to him that, that we're going to be married. And she goes to Joseph and she says, listen, Joseph, I've not been unfaithful to you. I've not, not done anything out of out of." Of being wrong, but we're going to, I'm going to have a baby. And Joseph must have said, oh, Mary, you sweet thing. God bless you. And you say you haven't been unfaithful to me? No, Joseph was not that cool. It upset him to no end. And being upset, Mary looked in his eyes and thought, no doubt Joseph will walk. But, but in God's story, in God's story, everything happens like, God plans for it to happen. And I say to some of you, just hang on. The fulfillment of what God has for your future will come to pass. She would be declared in the culture in which she lived, in the culture as a person of being very, very unfaithful. If you were someone like her and you were found pregnant out of wedlock, oh, my friend, they stripped you of all of your clothing, threw you out into the town square, took all your hair off and let you stand there in the pub before the public eye naked. Do you think she could hide the pregnancy then? Nazareth was a small village of a few hundred people you think they would notice. And of course, in small villages or any village, there's always gossip there. Even if Joseph believed her and embraced her, what was the town going to say? Joseph, why don't you leave her? She's been unfaithful to you. Joseph's family probably said, Joseph, listen, she's proven unfaithful. Get out of there. Drop her. Leave her. But God's hand was even on Joseph. She had a great reputation. She'd done nothing wrong. Wrong. She wasn't old enough to do anything wrong at 14. She had a wonderful reputation. 
But the reputation was going down the tubes. She hears God say, there's favor upon you. You have found favor in the Lord. Now, that doesn't make sense. But I want to tell you something that I've learned over the years. A lot of the things that God does makes no earthly sense. And the walk that we have, that we walk by faith, sometimes you take a step and you don't know where your foot is going to land. When Jesus preached his first sermon in their hometown, Mary was there. She was pregnant. She wanted to be, that was her boy, but the people didn't applaud. They still had gossiped and talked about Mary behind her back. The question was asked in Mark 6, 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't that the son of Mary? You see, even then she was the one that was looked down upon. In those days, a son was always acknowledged by his father. Father would say, that's my son. Father would pitch to the son. Father would train. We understand all of that, but not here. They said, he's the son of Mary. Oh, yeah, we remember the little 14-year-old. Yeah, we understood. She said she had not been involved with anyone else. She had to have because she gave birth. And old Joseph over here, he let her get away with it. John 8, 48, aren't we right in saying, this is what they said, aren't we right in saying, you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Wow, Samaritans were considered to be half-breeds in that day, which meant they were half-Jew and half-not, something else. There was tremendous slur against Jesus, marked particularly his mother Mary, for that's what started it all. And as Jesus grew and started his ministry, he became a well-known champion. Oh, yeah. Women of shady character would come to him and his ministry. One would kneel down and wash his feet with her tears. Another would run to him who'd been a prostitute or been unfaithful, and he would welcome them and talk to them even though they're caught in adultery. And you say, well, why did he do that? It was his ministry to lost people, but it might be because, too, he remembered how his mother was treated when he was born, when he began to grow as a child. The comments that other kids said about his mother, he remembered well what people said about her, her reputation. She didn't know that all her dreams when she heard favor is upon me were going to be gone in an instant. Oh, you're going to have a child. Here's what she said, Luke 138, when she grasped hold of what was said, this is what she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Wow. In the midst of that challenge, in the midst of turmoil and confusion, I am the Lord's servant. And may it be to me according to your word. Can you say that? I'm the Lord's servant. It was just not a passive statement. It was an absolute statement. I will be the servant. She had no idea when she said that what it would take 
to impact that statement with positive action. May it be spoken of me. That was the foundation of the rest of her life. When she got in trouble, when she faced antagonism, when she faced gossip, when she faced fear, she said, I am the Lord's servant. When she'd hear snide remarks behind her back, I am the Lord's servant. When she see others chide her young son, I am the Lord's servant. God, may it be with me as you have spoken. And little by little, God begins to communicate with her, the person that she gave birth what he was all about, who is Jesus. There are still those today who argue who Jesus is. Many continue to try to figure him out rather than just accepting Jesus is the reason for the season. He is the Lord. He is the King of Kings. You see, we know him today and we believe him to be absolutely the son of the living God. Jesus, my friend, is real. He is real. But one of the reasons his ministry was so impactful, was his mother. We all know him today in Mary's day, evolved over a period of years. You see, people talk behind Jesus' back, Mary's back, Joseph's back. But then when the wise men came and they arrived on the scene of that manger scene, they said, we want to see the king. We have been told. Now, that might be strange. Say, so, well, what's wrong with that? From our perspective, that's Jesus. There's a lot wrong with that. When you dig deep into the background of what was going on. You see, Jesus was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Herod was king over Palestine, which is the area where, where Jesus lived. But the head of the Roman Empire over at Herod was Caesar Augustus. And we share with you in Caesar Augustus' life, he was a young man, but he was adopted by Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar is the one that put Rome back together. And then this young son comes along, Caesar Augustus, and Julius Caesar adopted him. And when Julius Caesar died, there was a comet that streaked across the sky that witnesses saw. And when that comet streaked across the sky at his death, the people determined he was God. He's gone back to heaven. He's God. And so the Roman Senate declared that Julius Caesar was God. Julius Caesar was the ultimate king. And that if Julius Caesar was the ultimate king, what is Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus must be the son of God. If Caesar Augustus is the son of God, that's when emperor worship became real in Jesus' day. Then he must be, Caesar Augustus must be the son of God. He became the Caesar and ruler over Rome and the extended Roman empire. He ended the civil war with Mark Anthony and calmed the providences down. He became known as Pax Romana. Caesar Augustus brought Pax Romana, which means he brought peace to the known world. He was regarded as the peacemaker. He must be the king. His father was God. He must be the son of God. And look what he has been able to do and the announcement of his reign and the extension of his leadership 
throughout the Roman Empire, he was also known as the gospel of Rome. So when Jesus was born and word begins to travel and they begin to say, and Herod hears, in Bethlehem, there is a king. And when the angel said in Luke 1, 35, so the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God, not a son, as in several, but the Son of God. The angel appeared, and the shepherds said in Luke 2, verse 10, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Say the balance of it. He is Christ the Lord. Wait a minute now. That can't happen. There's only one king there in the providence where Jesus is Herod. But the son of God, the real king over the Roman Empire, is Caesar Augustus. Those are the two known leaders of authority. And now you say, another king is born? Let's check that out. Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor Rest. And now there's favor. So when Mary gathers baby Jesus, and you know the death stroke would try to apprehend them, the scripture declares in Luke 2, and those who heard it were amazed of what the shepherd said, all who heard it were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What that means is this. The prophets of old would, would ponder things and treasure them in their heart. It seems like they would get a moment of inspiration and they would talk about it. They would communicate to one another. They would chew on it. They would pray their prayers, ritualistic prayers, until finally the point came that they believed that it was God that had spoken to them, and then by faith they spoke it out after they pondered it. And what was happening was such confusion in Mary's heart. How is it possible? I know Caesar Augustus. I know Herod. And now they're saying, my baby his name is Jesus, the Son of God, is the King. She pondered that and thought, how is that possible? Imagine if you with her trying to make sense out of that, and you're a key player. How big is your faith? I am a servant of the Lord. And may it be to me all that you said to me. Mary had to make that decision to say this is the path 
that I'm taking. But don't you know, Mary, if you say that, if you do that, if you mention someone other than these two, Herod or Caesar Augustus King, you put your life out and they will snuff it out. They will track you down and take your life. It doesn't matter who you are. It's an abomination to honor anyone other than Herod. Mary said, it doesn't matter to me. My commitment as a servant of the Lord is greater than my own life. How much did Jesus mean to you? How real do you think he is as we enjoy the Christmas season, giving and taking gifts and laughing and eating fruitcake? This thing is so real. And Mary was so committed. She was willing to die for a truth that she believed. God had spoken to her about. Eventually, what she thought would lead to some action. In the process of her heart, she found out that she had enormous spiritual sensitivity She wanted to know, what is God doing? I know what Jesus is capable of. He's growing up, and now they're at the first wedding. Mary has pondered it. She's come to the conclusion, no, I have heard him teach. He is a young man of wisdom. And when they ran out of wine, Mary had no doubt. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a wise person. He is a miracle worker. You boys need wine? Jesus. Jesus, they're out of wine. At that moment, Jesus said, woman, this is ahead of my time. But don't you know the price he knew his mama had paid to believe in him? And he probably said, yes, ma'am. Go get your best pitchers, fill them up with water. Bring them back here. Sir, you're the head and the host. Take the ladle. Try this one. The man said, mm-mm-mm. Red wine is so good. How is it that you save the best? last at that moment Mary who believed in her son to be the miracle worker had a breath of fresh air and said he truly is the son of God for he turned water into wine he is the king When Jesus does something in your life, when he shows up, when you're desperate, when you're in trouble, when you've given out, when your emotions are fried, when you have bad memories in the past and the future doesn't look great, remember, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is, you are his servant, and he shows up for you every single time. Let him turn water into wine in your life. Come on, let's put our hands together. In the research of Mary's life, she thought, well, you see, the Torah required that they take children to the temple to be dedicated, and Mary and Joseph did that for Jesus. 
They took him. They were not wealthy. They're supposed to take two pure lambs and present them. They couldn't, or you could take two turtle doves. It's far more reasonable. You could buy them right there within the gates. And they brought the two turtle doves, and they bring it according to Scripture. They bring Jesus to Simeon. In Luke 2, 29, Simeon was a great man of worship in God. God had spoken to him. But there was one thing he pondered in his heart. God, I don't want to die. I believe in what I've read here in the Torah, that there is one who is truly the king. God, I ask you to let me lay eyes on him. Mary and Joseph brought Jesus. Simeon touched him. And this is what he said in Luke 2, 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. What did he say? He said, this is what I've waited on my entire life. Now that I have seen the Savior, I can die. I've dedicated my children. I baptized some of them two or three times because they needed it. And when he dedicated Jesus, he said, I can die. As much as I love my kids and my great-grandkids, I've never said one time, Lord, now that I've dedicated Tim, I can die now. I'm not done that. Dead end, not, 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 not ready to die. If that ever came to pass, I'd say, let Tim do that. Let Tim do that dedication. He's ready to die. Simeon, you can die now. And here's important. Luke 2.34, the child is destiny continued to cause the rising, don't miss this, and the falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He's speaking dual message, one to Mary, but prophesying into the future as he walks away. What does Mary think? What she's supposed to think? Oh, good news. She's told that he's going to be the savior of the world and, and she hears his glory is going to come through sorrow and suffering. He'll be misunderstood, opposed, and, and there'll be a sword that will take his life and break her heart. What kind of favor do you call that? If I found favor, the manger scene, the nativity scene, suppose Jesus as the Son of God lying in that manger? Oh, yeah. I have to be the Savior of the world? Or I have to be prepared to suffer, prepared to die? And know that your mother, she doesn't have such a good reputation. 
As a child, though, studies and the anointing and the infiltration of God's Spirit, he began to figure things out. Oh, well, he was God. He knew, but he, he took the path of humanity. He figured it out. And in the process, he figured that the Son of God, not Herod, not Caesar Augustus, but he was the king at 12 years of age. The Passover, they took and honored the Passover, and they left. And when they left, they thought they did the home alone thing. They didn't check to be sure everybody was there. Jesus was in the temple. Mary went to the temple. Now listen carefully. It was not the woman's responsibility to go to the temple and enter in. It was supposed to be the man's responsibility. But not in this, not in this story. It was Mary. People thought and they were amazed at his teaching and his understanding and his ability to know the law. In Luke 2:48, it says that Mary went in and said, Son, why have you treated us like this? Why have you just left us and let us leave and not paid any attention? You think I wouldn't worry? And Jesus responded, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Mom, didn't you know by now? His relationship with mother began to change, not badly, but his calling became clear. He began to insert, assert himself, not as a baby boy but as a teacher, as a wise man. And when Mary saw that transition take place, it said she, she treasured all these things in her heart. And finally, Joseph died and Mary raised alone the rest of the kids that she and Joseph had. Jesus now is out of the picture of, of the home. He had no place to lay his head. He leaves his mom Jesus doesn't look like the Son of God. He doesn't behave like the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to purge Israel of sinners. But what is he doing? He's hanging out with sinners. You hear the latest gossip? Jesus is hanging out with a prostitute. You hear the latest gossip? He went to a tax collector's house. Have you heard the latest news? A woman came and, and cried over his feet. Who does he think he is? And washed his feet. He was offending the rulers and the hierarchy of the, of the religious community. It seems like he's always in trouble. Always. No one understood his ministry. It adversely affected his family. And his family said, what in the world are we going to do with Jesus? He's off his rocker, Mark 3, 21. When his family heard about this, his strange ministry, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Well, you ever said that about one of your family members? They're absolutely out of their mind. They were going to try to intervene and take Jesus. John 7, verse 5, for even Jesus' own brothers did not believe him. How about you're doing the teaching? 
And there's a tremendous amount of pressure to do the will of the Heavenly Father. And your own family, your own kinfolk, your own brothers say, you know what? You're deranged. There's not one ounce of truth in what you're saying. You need to behave. You're embarrassing mama. How dare you embarrass our family with all of your teaching and then hanging out with people of ill repute. Why do you do that? Mark 3.31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside where he's teaching and sent someone in to call him. And the crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside and they're looking for you, Jesus. Of which he said, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Mary stood at the door and heard what he said. Wow. Maybe it's the sword that Simeon talked about that just pierced my heart. Mary must have thought he's disowned me. It seems like he doesn't want me near anymore. And we find that we lose sight of Mary from that time on. It doesn't mean that she's absent. It's just not mentioned until he's betrayed. Until he's on his way to Golgotha. And he declares, but Father, not my will, yours will be done. I am the Lord's servant. Mary's prayer. May it be to me, as you have said, the same prayer at the end of his life. And Mary shows up. And the Bible says in John 19, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. The Roman executioners would allow family members to be close when they crucified someone. She remembers Simeon's words, and a sword will pierce your heart as she looks upon her son that the Bible says has sinned not. And she sees his flesh open and the pulsating of his heart pushing blood out. And she remembers the baby, innocent Jesus in the trough. And John 19, 26 says, And when Jesus looked and saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple he said, Here is your mother. From that day, the disciple took her into his house. Weeping, broken heart. We see here again at the resurrection. Before his ascension. Remember the words? She's weeping and crying. Did you not know? that I must be in my father's house. And Luke tells us in Acts 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer. The disciples along 
with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. She received at that point special mention. Mary stayed true to her commitment, to her words, I am your servant. No matter how much they abuse me, no matter how much I'm talked about, no matter how many times I have to pray for my needs to be met, no matter how many times other women won't have anything to drink with me. Joseph's been dead a long time now. And the only thing that I've been able to lean on is my knowledge that I am in the will of God. Her mind went back 33 years earlier. to that quiet silent night holy night from then on her life was challenged but she said I will remain committed To God. This is the Christmas season. We know Jesus is the reason for the season. We hear the words of Jesus, peace I give to you, my peace I give to you. But in the challenge that we face in COVID, the challenge that we face in the hectic schedules, we remember what Jesus went through, what Mary went through, so he could make it to the cross. And when they took him off the cross, there's only one more thing. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and said, now, I have conquered death for you to be alive forever. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Put your hands together and let's thank God. Father God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for your abundance of grace and mercy. And Lord, I know that there are many, many thousands before the week's out that will view us online. I know there's some in other nations right now that are viewing. It's a difficult hour, but they watch. Many in other states, different time zones. And God, I pray that this message has found a place of residence in our heart. I pray as we believe that it is not by might or power but by your Holy Spirit, clean us up, Lord. Forgive us of anything we've complained about or murmured about. You have served us up another wonderful day and what we do with that day 
depends upon the choices and the wisdom that we enact in our own lives. We will not let this day be given to the enemy. We will live it and enjoy it and give you praise for it. For some, there may be some contemplating challenges that are in your life and maybe you feel like, as the old preacher used to say, undone, not totally together in your relationship. So just in case, and those of you at home, I'm gonna ask everybody to repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Here we go, repeat it together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I pray for forgiveness. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind. Take away every spirit that is not in alignment with you. Father God, I am truly sorry. Touch my attitude. I have been wrong. And I trust you. Now in your name, Jesus, write my name down. In that Lamb's book of life, I give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Would you put your hands together and let's, this, let's thank God. Amen. So this time we uh, turn this part of the service over to Dan. God bless you, everybody. Merry Christmas.